0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. We've all been anxiously following the terrible outbreak at the Roberta Place Long-Term Care Home that has infected all but one resident. It has killed 66 of them and at least one essential caregiver. And now there is a $50 million proposed class action lawsuit against the home, which is charging negligence and a total failure to prepare and protect residents for the second wave that everyone knew was coming. Now, before we get to the lawyers, please take a listen to musician Jeremy Taggart, who we talked to yesterday. He's not involved with the lawsuit, but his mother, Beryl, is a resident there currently battling COVID under these heartbreaking
2: conditions. She was in a a room with one other person. That's the other thing that was very concerning when I heard that their owner uh, David Jarlat actually admitted that they were not cohort, cohorting properly, that they were um, inundated and overwhelmed, and people were actually not properly uh, isolated. And that's that's my biggest problem with this whole thing.
1: Well, now I'd like to bring in Gail Brock, a lawyer of, with Brock Medical Malpractice Law, the firm that's bringing the lawsuit, and Jane Mita, staff lawyer and institutional advocate at the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. Thank you both so much for being with us. Thanks, Libby, for having me. Thanks, Libby. Uh, Gail, so what are the main allegations in this lawsuit?
3: Yeah, you know, the main allegations are of uh, negligence and gross negligence for for various uh, reasons. Um, as Mr. Taggart just said, failing to cohort patients, uh, sorry, inmate, uh, not inmates, um, uh, residents who are COVID positive and residents who are not COVID positive. Um, I've spoken with two families just yesterday exactly in the same position as Mr. Taggart's family. Um, so there's non-cohorting. There's inappropriate use of PPE, lack of PPE, failure to, as you said at the outset, to be um, ready for this second wave, um, failure to uh, have proper testing, failure um, to properly instruct staff and have them tested uh, daily having staff who are working with COVID positive patients, uh, working with, um non positive patients and, um, it, it's, it's so widespread, Libby. Um, the, the allegations just go on and on. Jane
1: Metis, you know, when these allegations come up, the homes usually say they make it sound like some kind of act of God. There was nothing we could do. Mm-hmm. These are older homes. There, we, there's nowhere else for us to put these residents. Uh, our staff called in sick. Uh, what's your view of our of those? I defense, I guess.
4: Well, I mean, you know, this it might have been. You know, at the beginning of the, you know, COVID in March, April last year, there you know, maybe had some um, ability to have those kinds of comments. Uh, but certainly we're, you know, well into um, uh, almost a year. Um, and those just don't fly. And in fact, um, Roberto Place knew that they had problems. They had orders as far back as September around their infection control. And so, you know, they already had been on notice um, to comply. They were unable to comply. And, in fact, when the ministry went in in December to review that, they had to um, extend the period to meet the infection control because the home still hadn't done that. Um, Jarlett is a, you know, a large you know, a fairly large company. Um, you know, it. Uh, one of the things that the you know the private sector says is, you know, we have the ability because we have these corporate offices and we can set policies across everything. Where were those policies? They knew there was a problem in September. Um, you know, they they couldn't meet it for December, and it's still clear from the inspection reports that there were some horrible things going on uh, with respect to infection control. So it, that that argument is is just wrong.
1: Uh Jane, uh, how much is the government's fault? There are, there are lots of homes with all these orders against them, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and there would be more if they did more inspection. And they're, they never seem to be enforced.
4: Well, that's the thing. I mean, they came in in September in this case and said, you have till December to uh, fix this infection control issue, which I think is far too long in the middle of a pandemic. You then have them saying... Um, in December. Oh, you didn't do it. Now you have, you know, we're going to extend that period. I mean, it's really problematic that it's a continued, you know, extension and they just let them go. And uh, this is the consequence is, you know, over 60 people dying because they didn't have proper infection control. Uh,
1: Gail Brock, uh, the government changed the law so that instead of having to prove garden-variety negligence, you have to prove gross negligence. Uh, just take me through that, please. How much harder does that make things, and, and what's your view of that?
3: Yeah, um, gross negligence is not a separate tort from negligence. It's uh, what it is, Libby, it's, it's a degree um, and not of a kind of negligence, and each case will turn on its own facts. And when we look at this case, um, the evidence for us is gross negligence. And, and if this isn't gross negligence, I don't know what is. Going back to what, what Jane just said about, you know, the government going in, the, the Ministry of Long-Term Care, uh, making recommendations for change, going back in, and those recommendations were not implemented, and then having to make an actual order uh, to make change in January. Um I don't know. I'm not in there. I'm I'm just hearing stories from people I'm speaking with uh, about the lack of change. And uh, to us, that's gross negligence. It is um, a a higher bar to meet, but I don't think it's an impossible bar to meet.
1: Jane, do you think that will make it harder for this lawsuit to succeed?
4: Well, I mean, certainly in some cases it will, but I think that in a case like this, where you go back to September when you're getting orders on this specific issue, um, I would hope that this, you know, I, I agree. If this isn't gross negligence, then what would be?
1: You know, uh, again, people always ask, if there are orders, how come there's no enforcement? And, and the answer always seems to be there would be nowhere else to put these residents. What about that?
4: Well, I can certainly say that you know the enforcement system has been quite lax um and you know unfortunately, you know the there are no fines in the system. they're not charging people um though they could do that um i they could have you know provincial offenses charges that the government has simply just sort of said, "Well, we just have to work with what we have, and the result is a system like this where um the enforcement you know clearly something that was so critical in the middle of a pandemic as infection control where orders were made in september and we're in february and today you know they've been given till today to resolve those issues and and you know who knows whether they have or not whether the ministry will go in and and determine whether they've resolved those infection controls to issues today um and so there's no there's no backing but you know what they they don't want to close the places because if they close all the places, then there's absolutely nowhere for people to go. But they should have been much stricter to start with, and then we would not be in this position now.
1: Gail Brock, in the first wave, you know, the excuse or the explanation was we've never seen anything like this. Uh, this is brand new. Uh, how could we know? What we had to deal with. Now, I'm anticipating that in in this one, Roberta Place will say uh, this was uh, the new variant that arrived and ripped through our home like wildfire, and we had never seen it before, and we had no idea it was coming, and neither did anyone else.
3: For for us, um, the evidence isn't there that everybody uh, who has passed away or who is uh, still in Roberta Place with uh, the virus is from the new variant. Um, there are people who we've talked to who were not informed that it was the new variant, and in fact, they stopped testing to see if the newer uh, COVID-positive patients are as a result of the variant. So I think it's a... Really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, I think it's well. a, a weak argument. Uh, and, you know, if 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 they are able to come forward now with this evidence, uh, to me it'll be shocking given what people have told me about the lack of communication and transparency coming out of Roberta Place to the families, especially the families who have lost people.
1: I I just basically read reporting on it, and I was sure that they were testing everyone who fell ill. Jane, is, is this a surprise to you?
4: Uh, it's not a surprise. um there's been issues around testing throughout um you might i don't know if you remember back to the beginning with the first um outbreaks you know they they tested the first three people and then just assumed everybody else had it um so you know the there I think there's limited places that are able to do this testing um so it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that's it's obviously not um probably the that's it, it's not very helpful. Not to know, but, you know, whether or not this is the new variant or the old variant, you know, um, this home didn't, wasn't not, was not complying with um, infection control protocols. So, old variant, new variant doesn't matter. Uh, They weren't uh, complying, um, and that would be the, you know, one of the most important things that triggered, you know, an outbreak.
1: Yeah, let me give the numbers out again. I'd like to hear from people what they think of this, and especially if uh, you know someone or have a loved one at Roberta Place, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm talking to Gail Brock and Jane Medas about a $50 million proposed class action lawsuit against Roberta Place where all but one resident, that's more than 200, have fallen ill with COVID and 66 people have died so far. It is just so shocking and heartbreaking and uh, the the charges in this lawsuit are are the usual negligence, failure to do infection control. Now, again, um, and either Jane or Gail, how much is the responsibility of the government? For instance, in Quebec, it was mandated that every home had to have one person whose only job was infection control, but that's not the case here. Um, this is
3: Kale Livy. Uh For, for us, we, uh, in our preliminary investigations, we looked at whether to include the government as a defendant in the lawsuit. And right now, uh, we did not include them because uh, there were uh, procedures in place, there were guidelines from uh, the government, and we say that if Roberta Place had abided by those guidelines and treated their residents as they should have, then this would not have happened. We would not have these deaths uh, and it falls on Roberta Place and the management. We continue to investigate, uh, looking at what uh, inspections were done, what recommendations were made, what order was eventually made in January. So. Uh, we're not saying the government may not, uh, will never be included as a defendant, but we did not include them at the outset because uh, we did not have the evidence to
4: include them.
1: The other thing is that I know that here in Toronto, they, they did, in the summer, at least in some places, put in a system where they had hubs and the hospitals at least consulted on issues like infection control. I know that University Health Network did, and that's before they took over management of any homes. Uh, Jane, did anything like that exist in Barrie?
4: Well, I can't speak specifically to, you know, what kind of relationship the hospital may have had, but yes, it was supposed to be cross-provincial where the hospitals have all been paired with with local long-term care homes. I mean, the problem is is that you know it does go back to some funding issues, and that um, and lack of staffing. And so you know the hospitals will often make recommendations based on their expertise in a hospital setting. But we know that hospitals are better resourced, um, have way more staff, pay their staff better. Um, and so it doesn't always translate into the long-term care homes because of the lack of funding. Um, you know, to the homes uh, to have someone whose only job is to, you know, do infection um, control and protocols. So and you hear that from, um, you know, medical personnel who go into homes from hospitals and are actually quite shocked at what's going on, even though they're complying with the quote rules in those homes, it is so different from hospitals because they just don't have the personnel to be able to, um, you know, do some of the things that would happen in a hospital.
1: And, and Gail, is there any scenario in which uh, a hospital that was consulting in that way could
3: also be liable? What I've found here, um, and and remember, these are the stories I'm hearing from uh, the residents and their families, is that when uh, a resident has been tested positive for the, the virus, the family is consulted and asked uh, whether they want their mother, their brother, whomever it is, to remain at Roberta Place or to move to Royal Victoria Hospital in Barrie and uh, go there for treatment of, of the virus. Um, most of the people I've spoken with have said we kept our family member at Roberta Place feeling that if um, they were going to pass, unfortunately, they wanted them to be in the home where they had lived uh, and not pass away in hospital. Um, Royal Victoria Hospital, as I understand it, was not directly involved in making decisions for COVID positive patients at Roberta Place. It was, um, under, you know, it was doctors speaking with family members and giving the family members the choice of what kind of care their uh, family member would get either at Roberta Place or the hospital. Can you tell me
1: a little bit about the lead plaintiff in the case? It's Ms. Lambie, and it's her brother that's a resident, right?
3: Yes. Um, Ms. Lambie came to me uh, out of concerns of the care her brother, George Head, was receiving at Roberta Place. He lives in a private room, uh, and she could not believe that he, he, being isolated in that room, uh, could contract the virus. How did this happen and Over four to six weeks, she saw him deteriorate. He's only seventy years old wow. uh, with early onset of dementia and that's why he was in Roberta place, and uh, Ms Lambie uh, rightfully is devastated by her brother's deterioration and came to me for answers, how could this happen? Why did this happen? Um, Somebody has to be held accountable for what is happening to my brother. She didn't come to me to start a class action. She came to me about her brother and herself and her concerns about what she was seeing. Uh, And it was through our discussions uh, and her observations about other um, events at Roberta Place and her friendships with other people there that led to the start of this lawsuit.
1: Uh, so I'm, I'm taking from that that she is an essential caregiver and she uh, was actually able to get inside the home.
3: That's correct.
1: Because yesterday we talked to Jeremy and he, he uh, isn't inside the home.
3: Whereas mother- Lambie is no longer inside the home, but she was inside the home caring for her brother.
1: And, uh, and uh, presumably the uh, there, are, there are other families there who uh, really want to see this go ahead.
3: Absolutely.
1: I am going to take a call from David in Toronto. Hello, David.
3: Hi. I have a quick question for the lawyers. That being, for the home that's in Barrie that they're doing the um, uh,
5: class action suit against, what about can there be any criminal charges filed against
6: the director or directors?
3: That's a very good question. Uh, I've actually had several people ask me about um, whether the police should be called in to investigate whether charges should be made for criminal negligence causing death or some other criminal charges. Um, I'm not a criminal lawyer. Uh, Maybe Jane can speak to it uh, better than I can, but um, so for, for us, This this is a a civil action, Um, but but certainly if
6: uh, uh,
1: okay is everyone there? Yes. Okay. Oh, we've lost Jane. Okay.
5: Oh no, and she's the one that can answer the question.
1: Okay, but we'll we'll get her back. I don't know what happened
3: there. Um, Okay. Sorry, Gail, you were saying? Yeah. So I was saying, um, if if there was evidence of some criminal behavior. Uh, I think I, I would get instructions from some of our clients to uh, bring the police in, but so far we haven't seen any of that. And let, let me just say, um, say that, you know, this is early on in the investigation of this case, so uh, we don't know yet what is going to unfold as it moves forward.
1: Okay, we have Jane back. Jane, I don't know if you heard David's question about whether there's any opportunity in a case like this for criminal charges.
4: Sure. So, you know, there's certainly, um, you know, in cases like this, there's certainly opportunity for things like um, the criminal negligence or or um, failing to provide the necessaries if people are dying um, from lack of care or or, you know, we've heard certainly cases of, you know, uh, dehydration and malnutrition. That being said, that um, there has never been a case that I'm aware of um, where this has actually happened in long-term care homes. So even though we feel that there are many cases, and I'm not saying that this case is one of them, but there are cases where criminal charges could potentially be laid, um, we don't see it happening ever um, across Canada. Um, It just doesn't happen um things that we see that, you know, if you and I were taking care of someone at home uh where we think you know criminal charges would be laid if we provided that poor care, it never happens in long term care. There's also um public efe- um, provincial offenses in the Long Term Care Homes Act. So while the ministry doesn't have the authority to charge people uh, or fine people under the act, they can um request that the um uh a police agency such as the OPP, for example could come in and investigate under the long-term care homes act and that there are provincial offensive charges that could come for non-compliance and i think that you know in a case like this it would that would be a more likely scenario however again we have never seen them do that
1: wow i i didn't know that existed that's interesting david i hope that answered your question
4: uh yes i just want one more question for jane
5: um is that something that um she could pursue to aid um, the
4: the class act, class action suit. Uh, well, that's not something that we would pursue. That it has to come through the government. Okay, all right. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, David. Thanks for that. Uh, so, Jane, when we see something like this, a class action lawsuit. I mean, do you see actions like this as something that can advance the whole? thing forward. I mean, we keep hearing, oh, my God, this is so horrible. We are going to change long-term care, and then it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And we see a first wave, and and we're going to make sure this never happens again. And here we are on track to exceed the number of deaths.
4: You know, unfortunately, it seems to be, um, you know, there's been a failure um, in the government, I think, of, of, you know, ensuring compliance. We have you know, these uh, homes that uh, are quite aware of what, you know, what the issues are. We have homes that aren't complying with the rules um, and to, you know, these disastrous effects. And unfortunately, I think that the only way to go after them is litigation. And, you know, um, up until fairly recently, um, there was no litigation against long-term care homes um, just because of the way our system worked. Um, And so that has allowed them to continue um, really without any checks and balances because we know that the, 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 the system the government has isn't, isn't ensuring compliance. So really, unfortunately, it becomes the only way to, um, to get any kind of uh, resolution for clients and hopefully to change the system.
0: Mm.
1: Gail, can you uh, give us an idea just of uh, what's the process uh, going forward to try to get this certified and, and what kind of timelines are we talking about?
3: Uh, As of today, the defendants have been served, given the lawsuit, and we expect they will respond uh, within the month, but we are right now in the process of drafting the motion for certification, so we're not certified yet as a a class action, Uh, and uh, what we want is for uh, the defendants to respond first, and then we will bring our motion. Uh, but we're not going to wait uh, forever for that defense. Usually a waiver is asked for some extra time, but uh, we'll see when uh, Ro- Roberta Place and the other defendants respond to what they're asking for. Uh, lawsuits take a long time, unfortunately, Libby. We have to still prove the case. Uh, we have to prove the residents uh, contracted the virus at Roberta Place, that they passed away or they survived, but still have the virus or damages that flow from uh, contracting it and surviving it. So there's a, a lot that we still have to do uh, aside from getting it certified. So, But yes, the, the, the main goal right now is to get the, the uh, class action certified and collect as much evidence as we can uh, regarding all of the individuals and the family members who have been affected um, by what has gone on there. As far as a time frame... This could take three, four years, depending on what the defense is and how much pushback there is from the defendants.
4: Hmm.
1: And uh, Jane, anything you'd like to leave us with uh, quickly?
4: Well, I think that people really need to be speaking to their uh, members of provincial parliament in order to really push um, for changes um, and to ensure compliance right now. Uh, We're really not seeing what we need to see in the system and we're just continuing to see deaths and with this new variant um, it has been become even more critically important that all of the long-term care homes are complying um, and, and the ministry is taking steps that they need whether it's hiring training and hiring more pers- personal support workers getting more nursing staff in uh, whatever it takes um, to ensure the safety of the residents.
1: Okay. Uh, Thank you so much for that, Jane Meadeth and Gail Brock. We appreciate your time.
3: Thank you for having me very much.
1: Okay. Uh, We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have a look at some of those travel restrictions. Are they the right ones? What is the impact going to be? Is it going to deter people from taking those March break holidays? What about snowbirds? We will have all that when we return.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Oh, no. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome
1: back. Last week, the government imposed new travel restrictions on passengers coming through our airports. All flights to the Caribbean and Mexico are now banned. Passengers will have to take a COVID test when they land and then quarantine at a government-designated hotel at their own expense for at least three days while awaiting test results. And uh, that will apparently be costing about two grand. Now, that last requirement is not yet in effect, but authorities say it will be soon. And so, Are these the right things to do? Will these measures be effective in containing the virus? And will they stop people from traveling? And what about people who are already away and need to get back? And what about the others who have paid for holidays that now won't be happening. If you have questions, give us a shout. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 866 740 740 And now I'd like to welcome Martin Firestone, President of Travel Secure, Richard Smart, CEO and Registrar of the Ta- Travel Industry Council of Ontario, and Dr. Frederick Dimanche, Director of the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. Hello and welcome. Thanks so much for being with us.
5: Thank you for having us. Hi, You're welcome. Thank you for having Thank us.
1: You. Okay, let me start with. Richard Smart. So uh, you are. Tico is for people who have booked holidays uh, through travel agents. So uh, if somebody bi- booked a March break trip through a travel agent, are they going to be able to get a refund?
5: Yeah. Hi, hi again, hi. Libby. Uh, th- thanks very much. Um, you're you're absolutely right. This has been um, uh, devastating for for the travel industry. And uh, Tico, as we're known, Travel Industry Council of Ontario. Our, our mandate is uh, consumer protection. And so, of course, we are very uh, concerned uh, over the impact that the pandemic has had since last March, quite frankly. Uh, But this recent uh, round of uh, travel restrictions has been uh, very um, uh, difficult for the the whole travel ecosystem. But um, for the travel agencies and tour operators, that TECO regulates, particularly for them and their their customers. So to answer your question, I mean, this recent round of restrictions, all the large tour operators, I'm talking the Air Canada Vacations, Transat, Sunwing uh WestJet Vacations they've all uh, recently in the last couple of days come out with what their policies are uh, uh and working with Teco to to get that communication out to consumers and for anyone who has recently booked say say a spring break despite the fact that these travel restrictions have been in place for some time now um the with with certain exceptions for the most part consumers are getting their money back in the original form uh they paid for so if they pay by credit card they'll get a credit back to their to, the, to their credit card
1: Okay, because uh, we know that from the first wave a lot of people who had things booked that didn't happen have not had refunds.
5: Yes, this has probably been um, the number one complaint that uh, our, our complaints department receives at at TCO This has been devastating for uh, for consumers uh, We're very uh, empathetic to, to the to the situation um, however, the industry is also on you know, on the precipice here. And when the uh, pandemic uh, was first declared as such back in in March of last year, and we had that first wave, both the the federal regulator, the Canadian Transportation Agency, and a number of the provincial regulators, including ourselves, um, came out with policies uh, uh, and statements around the issuance of travel vouchers or future travel credits. They're called different things and and really for the long-term viability of the industry and to ensure that we protect as many consumers as possible uh the issuance of a, of a travel voucher um, was was issued in, in many not all cases uh, there were a number of registrants that did provide refunds to credit cards and 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 as such but the vast majority was was through these travel vouchers and uh, we were pleased to see just uh i think it was yesterday the day before that Sudwing vacations has come out and extended their travel vouchers for another Uh, uh, four years, I think it was, to 2026. So we understand that travel vouchers are not ideal. I I hear often that it doesn't pay for the groceries, it doesn't pay my rent. But I think uh, Canadians and Ontarians are um, quite understanding overall and understand that for the the long-term viability of the industry and to protect their investment in the long run, a voucher is a, a uh, a reasonable form of reimbursement. However, this recent round of restrictions the, the uh, big tour operators have come come back with um, a refund in the original form of uh, payment.
1: Okay. Um, let's bring in Marty Firestone. Hi, Marty. How are you? Fine. How are you? Doing good. Thank you. So you are in the insurance business. How has the announcement of, of these restrictions, how, how has it affected you?
7: Yeah. Most interesting. I'm getting two sort of groups happening here. I'm getting the group that are away now and, either deciding when is this restriction coming in place with the three-day hotel quarantine, I may come back before, I want no part of this. The other group is saying, I want no part of it also. They're consistent on that, but they are suggesting they extend their current trip until such time that the restriction gets lifted. Therefore, they need me to try to get them an extension on their travel insurance. So that's where everybody's at at this point.
1: Uh Uh-huh, and is it uh, easy, is it feasible to get an extension on travel insurance?
7: It is. With the understanding that if you've had a claim, an expectation of a claim, or seen a doctor, it adds a lot of problem to the ability to get it. So I guess to put it simply, if, if everything is good and no issues, I can get it. But having said that, if you have had a claim, many insurance companies will not offer additional extension.
1: Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, uh, the last time we were talking on this show, Martin, uh, I had a guest on a friend of mine, uh, Penny, and, uh, we had talked to her out of not going, but when they started offering vaccinations to Canadians there, uh, you know, she was on the phone and she's in Florida. She's had one vaccination.
7: Yep. Uh, she can join the lineup of my clients. So uh, 30% went in November and the other 70 were quite content to take a pass on the year. They were actually listening to what I told them. But you are correct. Once that vaccine became available initially to anybody 65 and over, they all started calling and suggesting that they would maybe now go down, open up their places and stay till April. Other than the ones who thought they were just going to go down vaccine tours and get the shot and come back, now the others can still go and get it done, though.
1: Well, yeah, and the vaccine seems to, uh, it seems to have um, dried up a bit. uh, But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to blame them when, you know, we have no idea here. Yeah,
7: that's that's part of the problem. If we're looking at September, and I think you punched my name into something that showed I'd be September, and they are hearing from friends, by the way, who went down in November and said, I've already got my second shot, and we are out on the beach walking and we are out having, you know, outdoor meals and the sun is shining and it's beautiful. It's, it's causing them to say, why not me?
1: Okay, let, let's bring in Dr. Dimanche. Hello, Dr. Dimanche. Hello, good afternoon. Okay, so uh, um, is, what is all of this, first of all, doing to uh, your students? Are they starting to rethink a career in hospitality and tourism?
6: well you know some of them those who graduated uh, recently have been uh, having to rethink their career and and um, you know we're lucky that uh, you know they get a uh, a degree in commerce and so they have skills that are, that are transferable but the main message we're trying to communicate to the students is that the travel and tourism industry is going to rebound and uh, the industry will need people who are well equipped who are entrepreneurial who have ideas who are innovative to help restart the industry. Um, travel is is something that people love to do and need to do. Uh, we need to go on vacation, but also we need to travel for business, to visit friends and family. So all those hospitality and travel services are there to stay. The question is, you know, they are likely to have to reinvent themselves. You know, there will be some opportunity for entrepreneurs, and um, that's the communication that we try to to have with us
1: students. Well, I'm sure there's huge pent-up uh, demand. Uh, let's take a call from Barry in North York. Hi, Barry. Good afternoon, lady and gentleman.
2: Um For people that are planning to go to Florida or think, oh, gee, I really want to go to Florida, think of this particular situation that happened in December, apparently, first week of December, two people from Nova Scotia, where, as you know, are not very many cases, decided, well, I'm gonna go to Florida anyway. So they went, a couple went, and within uh, less than a week, the guy got it. He got it bad. He was on a ventilator for a month. Uh, His wife then shortly got it, had to go back to Nova Scotia. Eventually, he had to go back to Nova Scotia. Really sick, and um, apparently, they didn't uh, monitor their insurance program properly and found out that they now have a partial bill of $300,000 wow. in medical bill.
7: Could, uh, could I uh, say one quick thing there? Because I've, I've been working on that case, not that it's a client of mine. They left on December 5th because they got an early cheap flight, even though their insurance didn't start till January the 4th. Only upon probably not starting to feel well did they call the insurance company and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't have insurance. Can you put us on effective today? That's where all the problems lay. They left the country without any insurance. And that's, wow. that's part of the problem, why the insurance company has denied the claim. So for one of the very few times, the insurance company in this case is not wrong. They did not advise
2: them accordingly. Yeah. Wow. Well, they, just, they just took too many chances. Yep. Right? And they paid for it.
1: Um, it's a terrible story nonetheless, Barry. Thanks for your call. You're welcome. Uh, Richard Smart, I, I, I have a question, just a very quick follow-up. Uh, if if people bought one of those vacation packages by themselves online, are they still in line for refunds? Are are those uh, packagers still offering a refund, or does that become more problematic?
5: Yeah, the the, the answer general, generally, Libby, is it depends. Um, it, it, it depends whether they're buying their package from a registered TECL travel agency or tour operator. So, if you're talking about one of the uh, one of the large ones I mentioned uh, a moment ago, this is one of the uh, key messages that uh, uh, Tico and through its travel agency uh, distribution network really tries to emphasize to consumers. There's no cost, uh, you know, to working with a with a travel agency, and you become fully uh, fully informed by doing so. But more importantly, the consumer protections that are available to you. Um, all our agents and agencies are advised to inform consumers about insurance. We encourage. All consumers to to purchase insurance, even though even though it's not mandatory. Um, and when it comes to the other the rules and regulations around uh, refunds and reimbursements, um, consumers got the backing of the travel legislation uh, that the Ontario government has had in place since 1997. If you book on on a, on a website and it happens to be an out of province tour operator or an out of province agency, you know we have a, a saying a little harsh at this time, but it's uh, you know book alone, you're on your own. And and really, I can't emphasize enough, especially during these complex times when risks are so high. By the way, I think Barry raised a great point. I mean, there's a reason why the U.S. has got 200,000 new cases a day. I think the number's a little bit better now. Uh, and the number of uh, the unfortunate number of deaths that they have is is that they haven't uh, followed the restrictions and the rules that have been in place. And when um, an Ontarian or Canadian is traveling down whether it's to Florida or the or the Caribbean. Um, their, their agency and agent is, is required to provide all the information that that consumer needs to make an informed decision. And we know that some people will want to travel, um, but it is a small minority right now. Um, and you owe it to yourself to be fully informed when you make that travel purchase. And the only way you're going to get that is, is working through a travel registered travel agency or, or website. Uh, so I think, I, think, I think that's a key message that consumers should take away.
1: Okay. Um, we're going to have to take another break. Just one quick question before the break to Dr. Dimanche. Are these the right restrictions or are they just kind of uh, to make the government look like they're doing something?
6: Well, you know, this is a, a big topic. And as you know, every single government around the world is, is trying to, to limit the spread of the virus, right? So uh, even within the provinces, we're not uh, agreeing. Um, you know, you, you see Alberta, uh uh, Quebec also, you know, starting to reopen restaurants and museums. And so tell uh, Ontario, we don't do that. And so every government is really struggling with what is the right measures. And, and of course, there are some good models. We look at some uh, countries in Asia. We look at uh, New Zealand and Australia that everybody talks about. Um should we do the same thing? Should we have done the same thing? It's a possibility. But there are so many political factors, human factors, economic factors in the in the balance that it's very difficult to, you know, to second guess months later what we could have done or should have done. The the the, the issue is what can we do now? And and uh, um limiting travel and I'm not saying we should entirely limit travel like the government has done, but limiting travel certainly is going to limit the risk.
1: OK, we've got to take a break, but we will be back with more from Marty Firestone, Richard Smart and Dr. Frederick Dimanche. Uh, and we'll be taking your calls and your questions before we go to break. The number is 416 toll free one 866 We're talking about those new travel restrictions and we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio heard weekdays from noon to 1 fight back with Libby Snyder on Zoomer Radio
1: Welcome back. We're talking about travel and travel restrictions, and I'm I'm just chuckling here because I I uh, checked my email in the break, and what do I have but a Valentine's Day offer from Aeroplan an Air Canada gift card to sweep them off their feet this Valentine's Day with plans for a romantic getaway. Uh, <laughs> great, that's a great idea.
5: Are you sure that Are you sure that trip is it up to Thunder Bay? <laughs> Nothing against, nothing against Thunder Bay, by the way. I, lovely, I don't
1: think cow. Thunder Bay wants people from <laughs> Toronto, frankly. Um, <laughs> Probably yeah. not. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's just too much. Sorry if I'm I'm laughing. Let's take a call from Steve in Brampton. Hi, Steve.
7: Oh, hi, Libby. I have a two questions, actually, for your panel. Uh, the front page of The Sun today talk, is about a man from Scarborough who returned from the States and was surprised to find himself Uh, awaiting awaiting his test results. He's he's in a three-day quarantine in a hotel.
1: Is he already?
7: And uh, when I went on Facebook and saw his ad, then there were people coming in saying, yeah, it happened in Calgary too. Yeah, it happened in Vancouver too. So I did not think that was happening yet. So that's my first question. And my second question, if the panel knows, is when does the federal government uh, rule mandating that occur? Thank you. Uh, uh, I, can I can I answer that? Please, um, yeah. th- There is no way the hotel quarantine started yet. What did start was our Premier Doug Ford's PCR testing at the airport, which I've heard from clients already who arrived last night that say they are herded like cows into line, and there are hundreds of people now breathing over one another for this PCR test. So that is the only thing that's in place in Ontario now. The federal uh, move for the three-day quarantine and PCR test could be as early as tomorrow, February 4th, but I don't think it will be, and could be within the next two weeks at the longest, I think, at some point in between. Yeah, okay, I, so, mean, and, I mean, and I would just say anybody, if you've had a look at the Toronto Sun today, I, I am confused, and I would have agreed with what you just said, but the, it, it appears to be at variance with <laughs> what I'm seeing in the paper.
1: Well, yeah, the paper's not, I mean, everything that I've seen in, in terms of, uh, communiques from the government is that, that it, it's not in place yet. And you, you gotta think that they need deals with hotels and blah, 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 blah. But who knows? Yeah, me too. Well, thank you. Uh, we're still confused.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> I
1: I think the main thing about those restrictions, and I'm not surprised to hear that there are huge lineups of people breathing on each other, uh, is these things are intended as a deterrent. And even before this, a lot of people saying, well, you know, what worries me isn't my destination, it's the airport. And there you go. Um Dr. Doctor Dimanche, I mean, is that, you know? Yes,
6: I, I would agree. I would agree. It's definitely, this was definitely designed and announced as a deterrent more than anything else. Uh, first of all, the government selected those so-called sun destinations, you know, the, the Caribbean and Mexico, because they know that uh, in the next uh, two months, you know, the Canadians are eager to go travel south, you know, and, and the typical March break. Uh, people were, were, you know, ready and, and uh, planning some vacations. So it's definitely a, a deterrent to prevent people from uh, traveling to those sun destinations. I'm surprised that there was no uh, a prevention, for example, or, um, you know, to, to prevent people from traveling to the United States, which, as we discussed, is, uh, is just as risky, if not more risky than uh, the uh, the Caribbean destination. But the, the quarantine, the, the cost uh, and all those, you know, certainly add up to, the uh, psychological barrier that people are perceiving for traveling. And and that's what will prevent them from traveling.
1: Well, I think we can all cast our minds back a year ago. Uh, The pandemic was declared right around March break. And I remember the premier saying, uh, go and enjoy yourself on your March break holiday and we'll deal with this when we get back. And and March break was also uh, an incredible vector for spread in the United States.
6: Yeah, and they certainly want to prevent that mistake again. And uh, um, just to talk about consumers who, who may still be traveling, uh, you know, the, the main message for people is to encourage them also to book trip if they still want to travel with a travel advisor. Book insurance, book a trip with a travel advisor, otherwise it's going to be difficult for them to come back. And we know that right now there are some people who have difficulties coming back to Canada.
1: Well, yes, I want to get into that. Uh Marty Firestone, are there people in Florida who had been hoping to come back, uh, you know, uh, quicker than April that are disappointed? Do they think they're being treated unfairly or what?
7: Yeah, well, actually, forget Florida for a moment. It's the sun destination places, Barbados, Cuba, Dominican Republic, all there. They are struggling to get back because they weren't snowbirds, per se, that were going to be staying down till April. They're finding it very difficult right now to get the negative COVID test in the 72 hours and get ready for the flight. So that's compounding a whole different problem. The people who are down in Arizona, Palm Springs, Florida, and all that, their only decision is, do I get back before the hotel quarantine starts, or do I extend my trip and wait it out, as they say, just ride it out until the restrictions are lifted? So two camps here with respect to this new layer that's been added.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that there are a lot of people uh, who are sun destinations outside of March break who aren't snowbirds. Am I wrong?
7: Well, Well, Mexico is a a great spot for for our new spot, a very busy spot for snowbirds uh, with respect to traveling. And they were planning on staying until March now. They don't know what to do because, but one li- quick loophole I'll discuss that I still think hasn't been been closed, and that is that you could still take uh, U.S. carriers from these locations, including Toronto, to fly to Cancun there, right now, and you can fly back that way too, so I'm not quite sure how close really? that is really. Yes, uh, Delta and a few of the other airlines, they do make one stop, albeit like in Philadelphia or something, but they are still running out of Pearson, which is a whole other can of worms as to how our Canadian planes are sitting idle, yet. U.S. planes are flying to these sunspots.
1: Wow, yeah. I had no idea.
5: Yeah, Libby, if I, if I could comment, and, and, and uh, Martin raises a good point, although I think that that, that loophole is, is likely to, to close in, in short order from, uh, from, from, the, from, from the feds. And I think that the message that I would leave with consumers is, and we're all seeing it, the rules are changing constantly. Yeah. And, and, and the signal has been out there that, uh, unfortunately, it sounds harsh, but you travel at your own peril. And if you travel down to destination, and then the government says, you know, you're on your own, you know, then then you, you have to weigh that risk, you know, personally. Um, and I and I think the, the the concerns that we have going forward, and what we're trying to inform consumers on, um, is with all these variants uh, getting increased uh, focus the, these days, um, the rules not yet fully in effect for the recent restrictions, um, the. The the second wave that we saw after Christmas that they're trying to avoid, you know, by by essentially canceling March break, um, is I think you should expect, you know, to see constant change um, in the rules in the weeks and months ahead. And so I'd be very very cautious if your risk tolerance is such that you wanna you wanna travel. But if you do, as Dr. Demers said, do it through a travel advisor. Make sure you're 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 sufficiently insured, and make sure you're fully informed you know, through, through uh, working with one of those uh, TECO registered travel agencies or, or travel agents.
1: Okay, I'm going to try to take one very quick question because we're almost out of time. Uh, Julia
4: in Mississauga, very quickly, what's your question? Okay, I'm just wondering how many people will actually be tested? Because if you're given the option when you come into the airport not to be tested and pay $750 versus be tested and pay $2,000 plus the cost of the test, uh, wouldn't most of the people just take pay the seven hundred fifty dollars and not be tested?
7: <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think the seven hundred fifty is under the premier's for the next three or four days. Once it becomes the federal rule, where you have mm-hmm. got to have a mandatory test. And a three-day hotel stay at two thousand per person. I don't think you're you're offered that. I can be corrected, but I don't think the seven.
4: Yeah, as long as it's not- mandatory, then you know what everybody's tested, then it works out good. But if they're, it's not mandatory, then I would say most people would take the seven hundred fifty dollars option. Okay. Uh, and
5: keep in mind, the federal fine is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, or six months uh, in prison. Not that they, you know, hopefully would ever have to in- enact that, but that's that's got to be in the back of your mind as well. Uh, okay. I think I think the idea is that is that you're going to get tested and you're going to stay in a in a hotel up to three days.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, thanks, Julia, for your call. I've got like maybe a minute, so I'm going to give each one of you twenty seconds. Please don't go over, Doctor Dimanche.
6: Well. I, I just want to reiterate the fact that people have to be very careful about traveling right now. Uh, the risk is not only catching the virus, but the risk is to be stuck somewhere. And uh, get insurance, go through a travel advisor, and uh, hope for the best. Richard Smart,
5: travel is a is a is a is a wonderful opportunity. The travel industry will recover. It's, it's a resilient uh, industry. Um, my, my key message is don't travel now unless you absolutely have to. Uh, if you do, travel safe, be informed, buy insurance, and be safe.
1: And Marty?
7: It will recover, but in fact, right now, access to the hospital over capacity in some of these destinations is an absolute reason why you should not travel. And we will again, it will come back bigger and better than ever.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Martin Firestone, Richard Smart, and Dr. Frederick Dimanche. Thanks so much. Thank you you
6: very much.
1: Okay, well, obviously, we're going to have to revisit this topic. There's a lot of interest in it. But for the moment, that's all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.